Turning your Bibles or mobile devices to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're continuing our study through this great Old Testament book. If you've been here before, the theme is seeking after God's own heart. That comes from 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, where God says through Samuel, I have sought out a man after my own heart. Well, in 1 Samuel 16, we finally get to meet the guy. We've heard about the guy. We're studying about some of the characteristics of a heart after God. But today we actually get to meet the guy. And the guy's name, surprise, is David. We learn in this passage that now that God has rejected Saul, the first king of Israel, for not having a heart after God's heart, we learn how and why David is described as a man having a heart after God's heart. And we learn one of the ways we're able to see God fashion a heart after his heart within us. And the answer is very simple. When God wants to form a heart in us after his own heart, he does it from the inside out. Pixar Studios has a movie called Inside Out. It's about a little girl named Riley. Riley's from Minnesota. She's got great friends. She's got a great family. She's got a great skill in hockey. And everything changes when her dad is transferred from Minnesota to San Francisco on the Pacific Coast. There are five core emotions in Riley's life, and they operate at headquarters, the control center of Riley's life. You see them here. You ever feeling blue? Of course, that's sadness. You ever feel frightened and lose the color? Well, that's purple. That's fear. You ever get hot-headed? That's a tough one. You see Mr. Anger there in the red. You ever get disgusted? So disgusted you're sick? Well, that's puke green disgust right there. And then the one with the blue hair, she is joy. She's trying to keep everything all together. Now, when these dramatic changes occur in Riley's life, all the emotions start fighting to see the proper way to right the ship. It is a great movie. You can find a lot out about yourself and your core emotions. And the main theme of the movie is one of the main themes of Scripture. And that is, if we want to see change, change has to occur from the inside out. Now, one of the things I have as a beef with the movie is it's not just five core emotions that are at the heart of our control center, our headquarters. When God changes a heart from the inside out, it involves the whole heart. Yes, the emotions, but also our thoughts, our thinking patterns, also our deepest desires, and also our choices. So when God rejects Saul as king... Saul has been chosen by the people because of externals, because of what they see on the outside. On the outside, he's, he's big, he's strong, but on the inside, he's got a pygmy heart. David is chosen 
because by God's grace, he has become a man after God's heart. We pick up the action in chapter 16 where Samuel is being sent to anoint the new king. Samuel doesn't know who it is. Samuel doesn't know it's David. Samuel goes to this obscure town called Bethlehem. You ever heard of that? And there's a guy there named Jesse who has eight sons. Seven of the sons are present, but one is missing. And since Samuel doesn't know who this man after God's heart is that God's been talking about, Samuel tries to ID the guy. Samuel tries to figure out who is it that is a man after God's heart. And as Samuel's trying to figure it out, we are drawn into the evaluation process. And we begin to consider, how do we evaluate people? How do we evaluate ourselves? What grabs God's attention versus what grabs our attention? What do we value versus what does God value? And as we find out through this text, we begin to learn what it means to be changed from the inside out. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's word. Follow along as I read uh, 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 through 23. This is God's word. When they came, that is when the sons of Jesse came to Samuel, he looked on Eliab the firstborn, the oldest, and, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well." So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. 
Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who was with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us and he wants us to be changed. But he wants us to realize change occurs from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, there isn't one person in here this morning that doesn't long to be different than who we are. Lord, we ask that by the power of your Spirit and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would understand better this morning how you change us. Come, Holy Spirit, enable us to understand and apply your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So if you were paying attention as I was reading, especially in the earlier part of the passage, there are two words that are repeated several times. And those words are look on. Various translations would have maybe look at, look upon, look on. Three areas that God wants us to look at, look upon, look on, focus on, in order to gain a heart after his own heart. First of all, Focus on the internal more than the external. Look at verse 6. You'll see what I'm talking about. Samuel looked on. There's our word. Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Remember, Samuel doesn't know who the man after God's heart is. He doesn't know it's David. And so Samuel's trying to ID who is this guy after God's heart. And Samuel makes the same mistake we often make. He looked at the visible. He looked at what he could see. What was immediately obvious. Eliab was big. He was strong. He was all Bethlehem League all-star. And he was wrong. Because his heart was not right. Now, if we need to focus on the internal to be changed, how does God change the heart? Well, we need to remember, as I pick up my notes, that what God looks at tells us what we're to look upon. Look at verse 7. Look at God's response to Samuel's wrong guess. Do not look on. There's our word again. Do not look on his appearance, or the height of his stature. Listen, this is exactly how the first king of Israel was chosen. The people looked at Saul's stature. They looked at his height. They looked at his strength. 
And he was a colossal failure because he didn't have a heart for God. See, external appearances can cover flaws in the heart. That's true in other people's lives, and it's true in our lives. It's so easy for us to seek to hook into appearances, to present a pose to the people around us because we're so aware of how empty and flawed our hearts are. God wants us to be aware of his value system. Look at verse 7 in the middle there. God has a different value system. It says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Now that's not saying because God is omniscient, he can see what we can't see. At one level, of course, it's saying that. But what it's really saying is God has a different value system than most of us have. Certainly than the world has. The world looks for the successful, the beautiful, the handsome, the strong, the successful, the financially secure, the vocationally important. And God isn't impressed. Hear me now. God isn't impressed with any of those things. God looks upon the heart. That's what he says in verse 7 at the end. Man looks on outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. What's your focus? What's your emphasis? What's the priority in your own life? Are you striving after the outward externals that the world strives after? Or are you prioritizing the condition of your heart? You know what's surprising about this text is after such an emphasis on looking upon not the appearance, not the appearance, God sees differently, God looks at the heart. When David's finally introduced, the first thing we read about is the externals. Look at verse 12. David is described as ruddy. That means he had great complexion. Like, I could care less about complexion. But apparently David had good complexion. Good for David. He had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. What's going on? After all this emphasis on the heart, the heart, the heart, the first thing you find out about David is he's attractive. Well, I think the Spirit's testing us. Are we going to believe what we read in verse 7? That what's external really doesn't matter. It's immaterial. It doesn't qualify you or disqualify you. Nonetheless, what matters is the condition of the heart. Some people may even have chosen David because he was handsome and beautiful to look at. But to God, he was looking at the inner man. What do you look at in your life? What do you focus on? What do you spend the most of your energies on? What do you spend the most of your time on? Getting ready before the mirror? Having the right clothes, living in the right neighborhood, developing the right body, doing the right workout, eating the right things. Look, we're not saying there's anything wrong with these things. What we're saying is that's not what is primary. Focus on the internal condition of the heart. Single people, maybe you want to be married. 
What's your list? Oh, come on, you know what I'm talking about. You got a list. Married people, you had a list too at one time. What's Mr. Right look like? What's Mrs. Right look like? Certain height, certain weight, certain body type, certain color hair, certain color eyes, maybe financially successful, vocationally on their way. But how many people fail to prioritize the internal condition of the heart? If you only knew how many times I've seen Christian young men and young women go after the external and enter a lifetime of misery. Because they didn't really think seriously about the condition of the person's heart. What do you look for in life? And by the way, if, if you're looking for Mr. Right, don't you think Mr. Right or Mrs. Right is looking for the same thing? If you're looking for the right person, don't you think it's critical you should be the right person? What's your heart for Jesus? Are you focused on the internal or the external? Parents, I'm not going to let you off the hook either. What do you prioritize in your kids' lives? Academics? Athletics? Entertainment? Do you spend as much time being concerned about their holiness as you do their happiness? Are you as concerned that they're connected to the family of God as they are connected with family getaways? Are you as concerned about their spiritual health as you are their athletic achievements? I need to tell you something. I've been here for 34 years. And one thing that I've seen happen are families that are gone almost constantly because of sports, because of entertaining trips, because of family excursions, oftentimes because mom and dad feel guilty because during the week they're completely absent. So let's take off on the weekends so we can spend time as a family. And then these parents come to me in tears later when their kids have no love for Jesus. Folks, the place where people gain a faith is in the church. If you're never here because of all the things you're off doing, what message does that send to the kids? Jesus just isn't that important no matter what you say. What are you looking to develop in your child? Do you want them to be a success in the world's eyes or do you want to be a success in God's eyes through a heart that seeks after him? Now look, we're not saying that to be a Christian, you got to be a loser, okay? We're not saying that. But what we're saying is what are you prioritizing in your life? Focus more on the internal than the external. Secondly, look to the Spirit more than effort. Want to see the other key to David's life? Look at verse 13. Samuel anointed David with the horn of oil, the priest's oil, 
symbolizing the Spirit. And the Spirit rushed on David from that day on. How do we experience heart change? How do we even experience a change of heart that switches focus from the external to the internal? Even that is dependent on the supernatural work of God and His grace through the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 reminds us that the difference maker in David's life was not solely David's will. It wasn't a rigorous application of his will to try to be better and do better that made the difference. It was the spirit of the living God rushing upon David. So the question that begs to be answered is how do we experience the power of the spirit? Remember the illustration from Numbers 21? I hope you never get tired of hearing about it. I think it is the most clear picture of the Christian life in the entire Bible. Israel had disobeyed God. God sent poisonous snakes into the wilderness to bite them. It was a fatal bite. There was nothing they could do. They were helpless. They cried out and said, Moses, we've sinned. Pray to God for us. God told Moses to put a a bronze snake on a pole. And when anyone was bitten, they were to look in faith in the promise and character of God. And that look of faith would activate and release supernatural power that would neutralize the snake venom and they would supernaturally live. That is exactly how the Christian life works. That's the spirit-filled life. That's how we're changed from the inside out. We're not changed from the outside in. You can't behave your way into a changed heart. You can behave your way into changed habits. I'm not saying you can't do that. Anybody can do that. You don't need to be a Christian to do that. Anybody can behave their way into new habits. We're not talking about habits here. Habits are nothing necessarily. What we need is a heart with new desires that desire God above all things, that desire to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that desire to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, if that heart change occur, then yes, there will be behavioral change. There will be habitual change. But you can change your habits without your heart even being touched. We need the power of the Spirit And so when we see an area that needs to be changed in our hearts, we acknowledge it. We acknowledge our helplessness. We repent, and we look to Jesus Christ. The same Jesus that saves us, we look to change us. How does Jesus save you? There may be people here this morning that don't understand the gospel of salvation. Jesus came to live a life we could never live, a life of perfect obedience. Jesus came to die a death that we never could pay a debt we could never pay. And when we transfer our trust from our own efforts to the finished work of Christ, we are saved, we are converted, we're delivered from hell and we're promised heaven. We become new creatures. But that's where a lot of Christians then want to change the rules. They understand that they're delivered from hell by grace, but then the way they want to be changed is through their own efforts. And Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 5, he says, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you? Think Numbers 21, the snake bite, the poison. That's a miracle. It's a miracle that people were bit by fatal venom and they lived. 
That's what God's talking about. That's what Paul means in Galatians 3. Does God give you a spirit now to change you from the inside out? Does he do that because of your efforts? Or does he do that because you believe the promises? We are changed by grace through faith the same way we are saved by grace through faith. We're not changed primarily by our efforts, but by the Spirit. And then look at verse 18. We see the other key to looking to the Spirit more than effort. The key to David's whole life, the key to every arena of his life, being Spirit-filled, in verse 18, the Lord is with him. What's the defining characteristic of your life? What would people say if they knew you and they look at your life and you say, you know, what about so-and-so and such-and-such? What's the defining characteristic of their life? Oh, man, he works so hard. Oh, man, she's tenacious. Everybody likes her. Man, it's amazing how wise he is. Is that what they would say? Or would they say, I'll tell you the defining characteristic of his or her life. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with her. See, there is, a, there is a quality of life that comes from living the life in the Spirit, living a life of faith, living a life of repentance and faith. And people begin to actually believe. Even if they don't believe in Jesus, they actually begin to believe. I can tell you for a fact, I don't know, I don't know how to do it yet necessarily, but that guy or that girl, the difference maker in their life is Jesus Christ. I don't understand it, but it clearly is the difference maker. See, what would people say is the difference maker in your life? You're just more disciplined than others? You're just better at trying harder than other people? Or, I don't understand it, but that person, God makes a difference in their lives. That was the difference in David's life. He was, look at verse 18, he was skillful in playing. He was a man of valor, courage. He was a man of war. He wanted to protect people. He was prudent in, in speech. He was discerning, communicator. He was a man of good presence. He was wise. He treated others with dignity. He, he had a calm head in difficulty. And every one of those areas, it was the gospel, believing the gospel that, that made David who he was. You think, well, Skillful in playing the lyre? How does the gospel relate to playing the harp? Okay, let me tell you something. If the gospel isn't relevant to playing the harp, then the gospel's not relevant to anything. There's not one area of our lives where the gospel isn't the difference maker. I don't care if you're driving a truck or cutting diamonds or fixing a sink. If the gospel's not the difference maker, then what good is the gospel? The gospel isn't just for big sin issues, although it is. The gospel's for every arena of life. And if knowing the gospel doesn't make you a better shoemaker, then what good is the gospel? And it made 
David more skilled and more courageous and more present because he constantly acknowledged his need and looked in faith to God to change his life. Look to the spirit more than effort. Focus on the internal more than the external. And then lastly, reflect godliness more than worldliness. So in verse 13, we learn that the spirit came upon David. But look at verse 14. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Wouldn't that be frightening? By the way, if you know Christ, here's a beautiful promise. It'll never happen. If you know Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God will never, ever, 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 ever leave you. Don't ever have to worry about that. But he did depart from Saul, and a harmful spirit tormented him. It's one thing for the Spirit of God to leave somebody. It's another thing altogether for a tormenting spirit, a harmful spirit to torment. That was God's discipline of Saul. And when this tormenting spirit came upon Saul, it it made him crazy. We're going to find later in the following chapters that that he went from loving David to trying to kill David because of this spirit. Well, Saul then sends for David because the music soothes the the savage beast. Now, what's David going to do? What's his heart going to reflect? Is it going to reflect godliness or worldliness? I mean, think about this. You're the new king. You're the man. Saul is the old king, the rejected king. He is out. No more power. So what's the new king going to do? It's like, thumb his nose. Who are you? I'm the king. You go find somebody else. That'd be worldliness, right? No. David came to Saul, verse 21. And entered his service. David's heart reflected God's heart, reflected servanthood. What humility. It reminds me of Jesus. Last supper, before they ate, the lowest of the servants was to wash everyone's feet because it was so filthy in the first century. But Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, lays aside his garment, puts on a towel, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. See, we know that we're gaining a heart after God's heart when we begin to reflect godliness more than worldliness. And one of the ways we reflect godliness is being willing to play the role of a servant. Like Jesus says in Philippians 2, or Paul says through Jesus, consider others more important than yourselves. Consider the interests of others above your own. In verse 21, we see that Saul here loves David, but like I said, soon he's going to hate David because of that harmful spirit. David's going to be on the run the rest of Saul's life. He's going to be hiding in caves, going without sleep and food at times. How's he going to respond to Saul's invitation to come? Well, look at verse 23. David served Saul by playing the lyre, and the harmful spirit departed from him. See, worldliness says if your enemy's down, kick him. If your enemy's struggling, gloat over him or her. That's not godliness. Godliness shows grace. 
even to the enemy. See, Christians are to be those who bring refreshment to the tormented soul of the world. Christians are to live out and play the music of the gospel to soothe the tortured soul of the world. The world is to be a better place because the church is in it. I don't know about you, but I get get so tired of hearing people talking about how they love Jesus, they just hate the church. First of all, you can't do that. Secondly, why do they think that? Maybe it's because all throughout history, the church did reflect godliness. It did serve the world. Are we still serving the world? Hospitals were begun because the church decided someone needed to care and show compassion for the sick, just like Jesus did. We may not have the gift of healing to say, raise up and walk, but we can still care for the lame and look after the blind and protect the deaf. And Christians did that. Historically, Christians cared about education, educating all classes of people, helping people to read. Why? So they could read the Scriptures, so they could read the Gospel and be saved. Because God doesn't care about classes. He wants all to hear. It was Christians who started orphanages so that children could come off the street and be adopted by loving families. It was Christians that began caring for the elderly when other people would just put them out to die. We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to live in such a way that even if they spit on us and hate us, we make their world a better place. You see, that's exactly what David did for Saul. And it was no, nothing other than grace. Are we showing grace to the world? See, David was simply changed into the image of Christ by grace through the power of the Spirit, by focusing on the internal condition of the heart rather than external qualities. See, Jesus is the newer and better David. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the one who, though he was spit on, and beaten and crucified, lived to bring flourishing to the world. And on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus plays the music of the gospel so that we might be changed from the inside out. Do you hear the music? Are you playing the music? Are you seeking to become by grace people who soothe the tormented soul of the world? Jesus can do that for you, and Jesus can do that through you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we learn about the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the internal condition of our hearts 
God, we need to be changed, and only you can do that. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Christ as Savior and Lord, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day they transfer trust from their own efforts to the work of Christ. And then, Father, if we have a, if we have a messed up value system, would you open our eyes to that? Would you enable us to focus as all people on the internal condition of the heart and not merely externals? And God, would you make us a people who reflect godliness, who are people that bring flourishing to a world tormented and sick. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Hear the benediction, the promise of God's uh, love and grace upon us as we leave to go bring flourishing to a tormented world. Receive it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Amen.